Sometimes I sort of just want to let the quotes preach and say, that's good enough, is it not? Uh, but here we are. Welcome to the beginning of our Peacemaker series, Peace Be With You. And you would have heard, whether you're engaging with our live stream or across our parishes, that we are launching our Peacemakers campaign for the month of May. And this, honestly, guys, is like... This to me is our sweet spot as a church. If you've been around the Meeting House for any length of time, you know that this is something that we do every year. And I think it's where we shine, not for our own glory, but because we are just living out of that sweet spot of saying, this is what God has called us to do and to be in acting with generosity and with a posture of learning and supporting fantastic organizations that are on the ground doing peacemaking work locally and globally. So just even like the launch of peacemakers, like welcome to our sweet spot. And my encouragement to all of us is to engage with that. Uh, learn more about it if you're like, I'm new here, I don't know what this is, or if this is like year 10 or 12 of this for you. It's looked different over the years. Lean into what that looks like to say, this is a, the best expression of us as the meeting house with our peacemaker campaign. But then also, this is our sweet spot as followers of Jesus. Learning and understanding and engaging with what it means to be a peacemaker is at the core of who we are when we say we want to follow Jesus and be like him. So this teaching series is also pretty exciting for me because it allows us to like lean into that a little bit more. You can see here, it's also in your notes, where we're headed over the next few weeks. Uh, this series is titled Peace Be With You, which are words of Jesus that he gave to his disciples. And we wanna kind of dissect that week in and week out and see where we are. So we're on week one and we're talking about peace, which, I mean, let's be fair. They said, Carmen, your topic is peace. And I'm like, okay, just like a small slice of the pie, I suppose. But um, we're gonna talk about the theology of peace. If we're leaning in as peacemakers, as a community, it's a good to have an understanding of, of what this means. And so that's where we're headed today in a short amount of time. I know our commissioning uh, was a significant portion of our morning and wanna say thank you again. This is a unique space to stand, but thank you. And so with the remaining of our time, let's talk a little bit about peace. If you have your Bibles or your phone, we're going to be landing mostly in Luke chapter 4, which puts us kind of at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And I think this is actually really core to this concept of what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Where do we get the concept of peace from? So Luke chapter 4, I want to kind of paint the picture of where we're headed as we look at the words of Jesus and the actions of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. And we're going to... Um, kind of verse 14. So the first part of Luke 4, Jesus is in the desert and he's uh, being anointed by the spirit and he's engaging uh, with, the, with, with Satan. And he comes out of that time and launches into his, the ministry component of his life. And he's been traveling and teaching and healing. And then we find ourselves kind of at verse 14 where we wanna start things. And so before we read it, I wanna just paint a picture of the cultural tone of the time where Jesus was walking into. Rome was the occupying state at the time. And we're not here to do a history lesson, but this is important information because the Israelites were an oppressed nation. They were, they were living under uh, Rome occupancy. Caesar Augustus was the ruler at the time. And if you do any, any surface digging even of Augustus and his rule, uh, you may know the term Pax Romana. I don't know if that's a term that you know or have heard, but that essentially meant Roman peace. And one of the things that Caesar Augustus was known for during his rule was that things were actually quite peaceful. This was a peaceful time, but if we dig a little deeper, what we learn is that it was a peacekeeping sort of peace. 
culturally, there were uh, societal statuses of, you know, you have the citizens, you have the upper echelon, and you have soldiers everywhere. You have soldiers that are pervasive. There's a heavy taxation, making sure then that societal order and structure stay in place based on who pays what taxes and what it means for the rich getting richer and the poor staying poorer. And while you have peace, you don't have to dig too far to realize that it was a peace that came out of military exhaustion. It was a forceful peace. So yeah, well, the history books talk about Pax Romana and a, a context and a culture of peace. It was a peacekeeping that was in space because of the military presence of the time. And so this is what Jesus is walking into as he starts with his ministry. And he comes along with a very different model of what it means to have peace. Jesus, as he starts, we'll see in Luke 4, is about to take this from peacekeeping to peacemaking. And that's so significant. And so uh, let's read uh, Luke chapter four together. Well, I'm supposed to look on this side. So uh, Luke chapter four, verses 18 to 21. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so there are a few things to note. We're gonna kind of dissect this, but there are three things that Jesus does that instantly indicate that he came for a different way. So him heading to the synagogue, this would have been relatively normative. And you may have caught in the passage that the scroll was handed to him. This was a normative practice that there was almost like a regular reading that would have been presented at the synagogue. So Jesus didn't choose this passage. It was handed to him. And he was reading um, from the, the regular rhythm of the reading that would have taken place in the synagogue. And here are the three things that Jesus does. And then we'll talk about them. Uh, he sits down. First and foremost, he sits down. Actually, we're going to talk about them right now. We're not going to do all three. He sits down. And the reason why this is significant is because the minute he sat down, he indicated to them, and I'm here to teach you. Whereas normally, the reading in the synagogue was simply that, a reading, but then he sat, and that would have uh, indicated he wants, he's going to preach. <laughs> he's going to preach. And where he sat was also really significant because the place that he sat was reserved for the Messiah. So right off the top, Jesus is saying, I'm here to teach you a new way, and this way is about me. So the first thing he does is he sits down. The second thing he does, he does is he omits a line from the passage that he's reading. Uh, he's reading from Isaiah 61. And what he doesn't read is the line. If you were to flip back in your Bible to Isaiah 61, you would have noticed some differences in what he said. And this line comes from Isaiah 61 verse 2 where it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which he reads, and the day of vengeance of our God. And Jesus very much on purpose doesn't say that line. And there's a reason for that because when they're talking about the day of vengeance, 
That's yet to come with Jesus' second coming. That's a prophecy that has yet to happen. And what Jesus is saying is what has been prophesied, what I'm about to say to you now is all about this good stuff of freedom and release and taking care of the poor. And it would have, it would have caught the listener's ear that that line was missing and that was very much on purpose. So Jesus sits down, he leaves out the line and then the third thing he does is the thing he says at the end. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's, he's indicating for the, the listeners at the time that this is no longer a future forward, end of day prophecy. This is me and this is now. And so as we talk about following the way of Jesus and as we talk about peacemaking, you might say, well, so what does this have to do with peacemaking? Because peace is at the core of the way of Jesus. And he, he gives so much nod to that through this Luke passage. And there's so much significance here. Jesus came to say, you may be keeping the peace, but I'm here to make it, so listen up. And so I want us to look at a few of the segments within Luke 4 to say what was the way of Jesus that helps us understand a theology of peace and a way forward for us as people who follow him as we step into owning our call and our identity as peacemakers. So the first thing that this passage indicates that Jesus came to do was to bring about societal chains, change and shift. And you can see in verse 18, he talks about he came to proclaim good news to the poor. So when Jesus said, like, these words are fulfilled right now in your hearing, he made it clear that this wasn't meant to be like some flighty near the end of times thing. This was a call for the people right then and right now to start doing the words that Jesus said, to bring transformation into the societal structure, to say this isn't something that we can no longer be held accountable for, that right now, this is the, the present um, bringing of the hope and renewal that Isaiah actually talked about. And if you go on to look at the life of Jesus' ministry, and then even when he leaves and the life of the church, this became a key identifier for people who followed Jesus and the expression of the church, that the societal structure was going to be different than the way of Roman oppression and the way of Jewish, Jewish law. And so part of what Jesus invites us to is a way of peacemaking that says, there is good news for everyone. And in this passage, he talks about the poor, but what he's indicating here is that societal structures no longer are the rule of the day. What we need to look at is a way that brings good news to all people. So societal structure was one of the things we see that Jesus is modeling in this passage. The second one is just a dismantling or a restructuring of power. He talks about freedom for the prisoners, setting the oppressed free. Jesus didn't come to be about the empire. Jesus had no use for the empire except to dismantle it and show a new way forward. Uh, the Jewish people would have been living under empirical rule for so long. And Jesus, in everything that he did and said, pressed against the way of the empire. Jesus, he didn't just speak with his, with his mouth. They, his verbal proclamation was accompanied by works of healing. And this drew for him great um, acclamation and a following but what it also did is it brought about a, a rise of anger and uh, 
opposition to his way. And if you're in home church, you're actually gonna see this. You don't actually have to go much farther than what we read today to see how quickly the people turned against him. And it's because people started to realize that, wait a minute, maybe what Jesus is saying here, uh, he means it for all people. It's not just for people that fit within our power structure. It's actually maybe for even our enemies. This idea of freedom and release. And that didn't sit well with a lot of people. And you can see, you can see the parallel narrative of Jesus' life and ministry and the growing angst toward him, which ultimately culminated in his crucifixion. But it's because Jesus was bumping up against systems of power. And let's be honest, back then in first century uh, Roman rule or today, we find comfort in systems of power that tend to benefit us. And so Jesus is coming to challenge that. And the final thing is he talks about the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is pointing to this year of Jubilee. Now that may be a term that you're familiar with or you're not familiar with. This was a tradition, a Jewish tradition in their law where every 50 years, it was a year of release, is a year of forgiving debts and for turning over land and for uh, releasing slaves. And you can see this description here, the Jubilee year occurring after every seventh Sabbath year, thus every 50 years, is an economic, cultural, environmental, and communal reset when the land and the people rest. And all those who are in slavery are set free to return to their communities. If this isn't at the core of peacemaking, I don't know what is. This is Jesus saying, this used to come every 50 years and now this is the year of the Lord's favor. This is what I want for all people. And this is the blueprint. This idea of the year of Jubilee is the blueprint for peacemaking. Practicing Jubilee makes peace. Think about that concept for a minute. Think about the places that we have conflict in our world in our local communities and maybe even in our own lives. And then think about the principles of Jubilee, forgiveness, generosity, sharing. And think about stepping into those practices, what that would do to bring peace. Now you might be sitting there thinking, that's lovely Carmen, that's a beautiful idea, that would make a fantastic poster in my office. But, Let's not go, like, there might be a caution to think if we really did that, things might go crazy. Like, we need some sort of structure and order. Like, whoa, 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 let's like slow the roll here a little bit. And I, the reason you may not be thinking that, I was thinking that even as I was prepping my message, I was like, whoa, we can't take this too far. And I was actually like convicted in the moment of this sense of like, but why not? Why not? As a, as a culture, as Western society, as humans in 2022, we aren't, I don't think, in danger of being too much of those things yet. When we get there, then maybe we can have a family meeting and talk about, like, guys, we're being too generous and too forgiving and we're releasing too much. I'm, I promise you, we can have that conversation if we ever get there, but as humans, we actually have a propensity to lean into structure and order and the structure and order that serves us best. And so my call that I think Jesus is, in, is modeling for us is to say peacemaking is embodying the year of Jubilee. Release, freedom, forgiveness, generosity. 
And if you're like me, maybe that's something, that little like catch in your heart you wanna bring to Jesus this week to say, I believe it and I get it. However, I'm nervous about this or this. And let's process this with wisdom and discernment and let the way of Jesus lead us. So to recap, this is what Jesus came for. Societal change, confronting powers, and this modeling of Jubilee. This is what we see as he preaches uh, Isaiah in Luke 4. So what does this mean for us today? You can see, I tried to like, this is not an exhaustive list, and maybe you could come up with different parallels that you would find, but I think about for us as the meeting house, as followers of Jesus, or maybe as people who say, I don't actually follow Jesus yet, I'm investigating. These, I think, are the invitations that Jesus is modeling for us. This is our blueprint for peacemaking, breaking cultural norms, and looking to the margins <clears throat> and practicing the principles of Jubilee. We may not, so breaking cultural norms, we may not have the same cultural rigidity as they did in first century Rome, but, but what norms do we have that prevent peace from happening? Are there stigma? Is there privilege? Do we need to learn beyond our own current context? What does it mean when you hear that part of peacemaking is understanding your cultural norms and pushing past that to maybe affect societal change. Uh, looking to the margins. As we talk about Jesus dismantling power, I think what that means for us today is to more often look to the margins. And let's name, we all have different margins because we're all standing in a different space. It's not about this is the one identified margin over here, but the question I have for us to hold as we talk about peacemaking is uh, how often uh, do you intersect with the potential margins that surround your world, whatever your context might be? I think that is an active decision we need to make to say, where am I and where's my, where is my view often? And then who's not in it? Because so often the people who aren't in it are the ones experiencing conflict and unrest and oppression and a power uh, dysfunction. And we have a role to play as we follow the way of Jesus to look there. He so often looked there. And yeah, it, it riled people up. But Jesus didn't come to continue to prop up an empire. And then practicing jubilee, practicing generosity, sharing and forgiveness. This is what the Jesus movement is all about. It's living through, like though as every day was jubilee. And I actually think we have an opportunity through our peacemaking campaign to practice jubilee, to practice this generosity, this forgiveness, this idea of sharing. And our peacemaker campaign, of course, is inviting us as a church to get creative with financial resourcing and support, but also the call for us in this uh, peacemaking campaign is for us to learn and take action. So yeah, well, we're hoping across our parishes that people do creative fundraisers and that we collectively, we can do so much more together than we can individually, can't we? I'm excited to see what impact we can make financially with our generosity, but also use this month, use this Peacemaker campaign to do this call to learn and then take action. And we'll all have different things that we maybe need to learn. Maybe we need to learn how to look to the margins. Maybe we need to learn what stigmas or privilege we live out of. Maybe we just need to learn about how to reorient pieces of our lives so that we can be radically generous and release with forgiveness and step into spaces where we can bring peace. 
And so while we pull this back together as we close around our peacemaking campaign, you can see the website here. This is where your resourcing is gonna come from this month. Our church, our Compassion staff do a fantastic job of resourcing us well in this season. And I am excited for us. I, agree, I, I said it at the beginning, but I think it's true. This is our sweet spot. Jesus has modeled this way for us. And now we've almost been handed as a church, like, therefore, let's help you live this out through our peacemaking campaign. Um, okay, as we close, it's always good to just close with the words of Jesus, isn't it? We started with the words of Jesus. Jesus didn't just talk about peacemaking in Luke 4, near the beginning of his ministry. His life modeled that way. And then um, in his Sermon on the Mount, which perhaps maybe are some, most, some of his most famous words, and sort of the way that he says, if you're gonna follow me, let me lay it all out for you. And one of the things he says Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. He says that because he wants to invite us into a place where we will experience fulfillment and blessing. And that maybe looks different than what we would anticipate it would. But he says, this is who I am, and this is how I came to live out a way that was different than the empire that we're currently living in. And I would say the same is true of us today. We're living in an empire. It's not Roman oppression. <laughs> but we live in an empirical society. And Jesus says, there's a different way forward and my call to you is to be a peacemaker. And so um, there's, I want you to reflect on these images along with the words of Jesus. I don't have much to preach on it. These have captivated me. Maybe you have seen these too. These come from uh, the, you can head to Instagram, salt and gold collection. And this is just a smattering. She has a foot washing series. And to me, they just uh, embody the posture that Jesus so often took. So as we close, I just want a minute of pause and then I'll pray to just absorb this. Some of us are visual learners and maybe this hits you more than any of my words have. And then let's close together. Jesus, we know that you came to model a different way. And my prayer, God, is as we look to the beginning of your ministry that you were filled with the Spirit. Uh, and that is what allowed you to move and speak and be uh, the human presence of God and model a different way. My prayer for us is that we also will come to a fulfillment of the Spirit, a filling that allows us to live in a way that so often presses against cultural norms, the power structures that have been afforded to us as in places of privilege, whatever our starting assumptions are. God, teach us on a deeper level what it means to be makers of peace in a world that has a different uh, standard of keeping peace. And Jesus, as we step into five weeks together as a church in our peacemaker campaign, would you uh, draw us so close in unity as a church. May this actually be a sweet spot. May we be known as followers of you that live out your love through making peace. And may we play our part, help us to repent of the things where we hold too tightly to our own comforts and ways of being when you have called us to press against things. May our collective efforts uh, make an impact in our world, not for our own glory or benefit because we are simply responding in obedience to what you have asked us to do.
And by your spirit, meet us where each of our hearts is at to understand more about where we need to shift to embrace a life of making peace. We pray this in your name, amen.